Welcome to Bible Crossfire. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time. And uh, hope you'll try to listen every week. Call in when you have a Bible question or comment. That's what we're here for, to discuss the Bible. Sometimes we even have disagreement. But again, the standard that we demand here to be used to answer every Bible question or settles every Bible issue is the Scriptures themselves. Not what we think, not what we want. We don't allow wishful thinking to creep in. It's whatever the Bible says. Last week we were talking about how that we should use the Bible as our guidebook. We're going to plan to get back in that again, but let's go ahead and take a caller. Jim from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay, this is uh, one question that sort of got four parts to it. The main part is, say you have rooms that you rent out. You, you, you own a building, you rent rooms out. First question is, if a man's married, he has a girlfriend, he wants to rent a room from you to meet his girlfriend. Or if you rent a room to him, are you a partaker of their sin? I say yes. You mean if you know that he's sleeping with a woman that's not his wife? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because okay. Second John, uh, verse 9 through 11, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So we don't want to be a partaker in somebody else's evil deeds. And if you help okay. somebody sin or encourage them in their sin, you become a partaker. Go ahead, Jim. There's three more parts. This is almost the same thing. Okay, a cake baker. Uh, a homosexual wants him to bake a cake for their so-called homosexual wedding. If he does this, is he a partaker of their sins? I say yes. Okay, the next part. Yeah, this I agree with that one. That 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 that's why we ought to allow these cake bakers to opt out and not make cakes for who they don't want to. We shouldn't force them because then you would be forcing them to be a partaker in other evil people's deeds. They don't approve the homosexual marriage, so they don't want to take part in it and help those two people to get married. Okay, two, two more parts of this. Two so-called married homosexuals want to rent a room from you. You say no. If you do rent the room to them, are you a partaker of their sin? I say yes. Yeah, that would be even worse than part A. Okay, here's the last <laughs> one. Here's the last one. The guy you know... I have a I feeling this is going to be the kicker, isn't it? No, well, this is one that I, I, I know something about. I've seen it happen. This uh, some guy and his girlfriend want to rent a room apartment from you, and you know they're not married to each other. If you rent that room to them, are you a partaker of their sin? I say yes. Yeah, but of course, I'm not sure how you're going to know that you're renting to both of them. But usually, in that case, if they're not married, the, the, the man's going to approach you, no, he and knows. you're going to. This guy knows. This guy knows. Yeah. Yeah, so, so and so, right, you, you shouldn't help somebody else sin. Like, for example, here's uh, a preacher that is normally, uh, in the course of his life, is asked to marry folks. And so he marries people who are getting scripturally married. And then two gay men come and ask him to marry them. Uh, what should he say? Said, no, that's, that's, that's pretty right. obvious. Because if he marries them... Even though he's not committing the sin of homosexuality himself, he's helping them 
commit this sin, to violate passages like Romans 1, 26 and 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, so he's helping them. Therefore, according to 2 John, verses 9 through 11, he becomes a partaker in their evil deeds. Suppose it's not a gay marriage, but it's a man and a woman. And he knows that they've been married before and don't have scriptural divorces. Then I would ask you, Jim, should he perform that wedding ceremony? No. No. This whole the thing pertinent... is, like this, this one I'm talking about, the girlfriend, and the guy and his girlfriend are in an apartment. The guy that has an apartment is a preacher. He, he gets yeah. out, his answer is to this, he's been questioned on it, his answer is, well, what about if they're a liar or a thief or a liar, you know, that list of, you know, what you're not supposed to be doing. He said, well, then you wouldn't be able to rip anyone. So the answer, that, that's no answer, because the answer to that is, well, if that's true, you don't lift anyone. You find something else to do. Is that right? That's right. And just because you're renting a room to somebody doesn't necessarily mean you're help, just helping them sin. But when you have a person, uh, two gay people who are wanting to get married, and you perform the wedding ceremony, you're helping them sin. Here's that pertinent verse in Matthew 19.9. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So here's a man and a woman have no right to get married. They're going to get married, and and I'm I'm the one that's being asked to marry them. And then so if I marry them, perform the wedding ceremony, and join them as husband and wife, when it would be an adulterous marriage, according to Matthew 19:9, because one of them or both of them have been married before, then they would be committing adultery. But I would have been helping them. Yeah. commit adultery, therefore I would become a partaker in their evil deeds. You follow what I'm saying, Jim? Sure, sure. But get back to this. The guy and his girlfriend, the preacher rents them in one of his apartments. He, he is, he knows they're not married before he rents them. He is a partaker of their sin. Isn't that right? Yeah, if, he, if he's helping them uh, commit fornication, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the main thing, because I've seen the guy, and then he tries to, he says, well, if that's true, then uh, you can't rent to liars and uh, thieves. And he he goes over that list because he said there'd be no one left to lift, left to rent to. If that is the case, you, you still don't rent to them. You just don't rent to anybody. You find some other job, or something else. Jim, appreciate I mean, your that, call. Okay, I thought that was the way it was. So, yeah, okay, thank thanks. you for your call, Jim. Thanks. Jim's bringing up an interesting point that a lot of Christians don't think about. Not only is it wrong to sin, but uh, I was looking at a passage just earlier. Verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says, Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So we're not supposed to sin ourselves, and we're not to be a partaker of other men's sins. And, and that kind of maybe gives a good segue to what we're talking about uh, using the Bible as our guidebook. Uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I think we can see from that passage and many others that we ought to use the Bible as our guidebook in religion. Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is given, is profitable for doctrine. So when we're trying to determine some doctrinal matter, 
some doctrinal issue, we should use the Scriptures according to this verse. It should be our guidebook. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number again, if you have a Bible question or comment, is 877-655-6755. We were talking last week about when the Episcopal Church ordained their first gay bishop in 2003, that gay bishop, I guess in, in the speech he made when he was being ordained, he said this, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Now to me, that somebody is, is an admission that that church is not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. In this case, the Episcopal Church. Here they're ordaining a gay man as as a preacher, as part of their clergy, as a bishop, he says in his speech, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. So they're admitting that they're not following Scripture. Just because Scripture says something wrong is wrong, they're saying that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. In other words, they decide what's wrong. Not God. Not God in His Word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God's word is supposed to determine, determine the truth. But obviously, this particular church uh, doesn't go by that uh, axiom anymore. They say just because it departs from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. They're obviously not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. A lot of churches are like that. They're not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. Here's what the Bible says about homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 through 10 from the New King James Version. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much political correctness pressure is put on us. No matter what, it, the Bible still reads the same way it always has. It says that homosexuals and sodomites will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you can't change that. If you're going to use the Bible as your guidebook, which you should, then you have to preach and teach that homosexuality is wrong and people need to repent of that in order to be saved. We'll get back to this in a moment. Jesse from Spokane, Washington. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, Jesse, you, you there? Uh, Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if a man and a woman got married and the man did something very bad and they got a divorce, and then there was another couple that uh, they got married and the man did something very bad like domestic violence, if woman B and man A can get married. Well, Matthew 19.9 says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso so marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Does that answer your question, Jesse? So if she com if she does not commit adultery, then they're still married. Yeah, if, if if I cannot divorce my wife scripturally unless she cheats on me, unless she commits adultery. If she doesn't cheat on me, let me give you this example. Let's say I get drunk every Saturday night. Is that Very a sin? Good. Is that a sin? No. Yes, it is a sin. We just read a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that says drunkards shall not inherit oh, the kingdom of God. Again. Can you shut it? Sorry. Now, you probably okay. misunderstood me. 
But let me ask you again, Jesse. Suppose I get drunk every Saturday night. Is that a sin? Yes. Yes, but can my wife, according to the Scriptures, according to Jesus, can my wife scripturally divorce me for that reason? No. No. It says, whoever puts away their wife, except it be for fornication. Except it be for fornication. That means that's the one and only scriptural cause. Shall, shall, and shall marry another commit adultery. So, if I cheat on my wife sexually, she may divorce me and remarry without committing adultery. But if she divorces me for any other reason and remarries, then that second marriage is called adulterous by Jesus Christ. And you can't live in an adulterous marriage any more than you could live in a gay marriage. you got to repent and get out of that marriage. you have any follow-up, Jesse, before I go on? No. no, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for your call, Jesse. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. So we were talking about using the Bible as our guidebook. We read 1 Corinthians 6 that shows that homosexuals and sodomites will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, if they repent and they quit doing that, they're not a homosexual anymore. They can be saved, but they got to repent. Well, in the last few years, we talked about the Episcopal Church, but in the last few years, both the Presbyterian Church USA and the United Methodist Church have switched their stance to allow gay preachers and gay marriages. Here's a quote talking about this Presbyterian Church. It says, The Presbyterian Church made an historic decision to formally recognize gay marriage and allow same-sex couples to marry in its congregation. The denomination voted to redefine the church's constitutional marriage to include a commitment between two people. This is from Time Magazine in 2015. Of course, their definition previous to that would have been marriage is defined as a commitment between male and female. Now they've changed it to be a commitment between two people. Time Magazine goes on to say in 1991, the church should reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. Or the changing mores, meaning the changing customs or practices. And so the church should reevaluate its definition of sin based upon what's going on in society. I think it's not it's obvious they're not using the Bible as their guidebook anymore. And then we have a quote from the Washington Post, January 3rd, 2020, just about six or eight weeks ago. Leaders said they had agreed to allow the United Methodist Church to permit same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in its history. So the United Methodist Church is changing its stance to allow same-sex marriage uh, marriage and gay clergy? Are the Presbyterians and the Methodist churches still using the Bible as their guidebook? Obviously not. Jim from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. When you go before the white throne judgment and these folks come up and uh, tell God says, well, uh, we did everything, you know, for you. We served you. We cast out demons in thy name. And he turns and says, uh, Go away from me. I never knew you. Does that mean that they were saved or they were just lying to God and saying that they were saved? Well, where you're quoting from is Matthew seven twenty one, and right. through verse 23. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I, I can see that going both ways, Jim. He could be talking about people that have never become Christians to begin with. They may think they're Christians. They call Jesus Lord. They've never, he says, I never knew you. Or he could be using a hyperbole here, an exaggeration, that they had become Christians, but they weren't willing to obey God. So he said, I never knew you in the sense of a hyperbole or an exaggeration. But either way, only those who obey what the Father, do the will of my Father which is in heaven, are going to go to heaven, verse 21. You see what I'm saying, Jim? Yes, and also, I think if you don't have a personal relationship with with Christ, then are you really saved? You're not. You don't have, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you're not really saved. But how do you have a personal relationship with Christ? What do you have to do to enter into a personal relationship with Christ, Jim? Well, the thing that I, I would, I believe in getting in God's Word and God's Word getting in me and I can live according to God's Word as much as I possibly humanly can and, and learn to love as God wants us to love, even love the unlovely. That, to me, uh, is a personal relationship with, with God. And I know that God loves me, and He uh, he's, I, I should have been dead five times, but I wasn't because God always intervened. He wanted me to live, and He had a purpose for me to live. And, mm-hmm. and I try to serve Him every day. Hey, Jim, you know, I was going to think of a couple of passages that tell us what to do, how we enter into a personal relationship with Christ. Romans yeah. chapter 6 Romans chapter 6, give me a second to turn there. It's talking about baptism. And it says, verse 3, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So I think this talking about getting into Jesus Christ is what you're talking about. Getting into a personal relationship with Christ. Getting into fellowship with Christ. Getting into a saved relationship with Christ. And it says that you're baptized into Jesus Christ. So the way that you get into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want to term it that way, is by being baptized into it, according to this verse. Do you see that, Jim? Yes. Now, you're talking about being baptized through the Holy Spirit, not water baptized, correct? No. In, in Romans 6, it's talking about water baptism. We can tell that because in verse 5, it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's talking about a baptism that looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ. That's the point of verse 5. And Colossians 2, right. in verses 11 through 13, say the same thing. So this is talking about water baptism because when you get baptized in water, you go down into the water, you're buried in the water. And verse 4 says, We are buried with him by baptism. You go down in the water, it looks like Christ being buried in the ground. Then when you come up out of the water, it looks like it's a likeness of the resurrection of Christ. So we know that Romans 6, verses 3 through 5 is talking about water baptism. And it says that you get baptized into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Any follow-up, Jim? Yes. One more thing is this. Uh, if I, I know people personally that have uh, had... One guy, uh, he and his buddy was riding a motorcycle, and one of them got hit by another car. And and this guy, you know, as far as I know, he 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 had, he called out to Christ and asked God to re- he repented of his sin and asked Jesus to come into his heart. 
And then he looked up, and here came the the angels to get him. But he wasn't, didn't have time to get baptized. My point is this. Would he not be saved? Well, what did Jesus say, Jim, in Mark sixteen sixteen? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so if we well, believe Jesus, we're going to believe what he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, I understand that, but what I'm trying to say is this. It's just like the thief on the cross. He didn't get baptized, and Jesus said, Hey, you're going to be in paradise with me. And maybe doctrinally I differ with you, but the thing of it is, if we let, we if we are Christian, we should walk Christian, talk Christian, live Christian, as much as, and live a Christ-like life and have a personal relationship. But the, the thing of it is, to my understanding, uh, we're saved by the blood, not by the water. The water is, to me, is a symbolic thing of a, an outward, a symbol of an inward cleansing of my heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And that's Jim, what my take on. Thank you for your call, Jim. I appreciate it. You have. And so, you know, I, I, there's a false dichotomy there. We're saved by the blood, but not by the water. Well, we just read Romans six verse three. Basically, the way you get into the blood of Christ is by being baptized. It says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So the very way you get baptized into the death of Christ, to take advantage of the blood of Christ, is by being baptized into it. So so it doesn't make any sense to say we're saved by the blood, not the water. That would be like saying we're saved by the blood of Christ, not by our faith. Well, that's true. We are saved by the blood of by the blood of Christ, but that doesn't mean we don't have to believe to be saved. By the same token, we're saved by the blood of Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have to be baptized to be saved. Peter said in Acts two thirty eight, "Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins." And so we got to be baptized to get the remission of sins. The thief didn't have to be baptized because he didn't live under the covenant, under the dispensation where baptism was necessary. He lived under the Old Testament law. Adam. Moses, Abraham, they didn't have to be baptized. Baptism wasn't a requirement back then. But it is in the New Testament law. It's required. Thank Walt you, from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Am I on air with Patrick? Yeah, you, you might want to turn your radio down. It'll cause you confusion yeah, yeah, because there's a little bit of delay. I'm sorry, Patrick. I thought you were on with another gentleman. I just was listening tonight. Well, that's funny. There's... Um, Go ahead with your question or comment. We're about to run out of time. Walt? You there, Walt? I'm here. I'm here. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead real quick. 10.39. I was not able to hear what Walt was talking about. I know he was talking about Mark 10.39, where Jesus said, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with shall you be baptized. So, um, I think Jesus there is talking about the fact that these people are that we're going to have to be go through the crucible of fire. We might say all of us are going. To, Jesus had to be go through the fact the suffering and the crucifixion, and we may have to suffer 
for Christ. We may have to drink of that cup of suffering or that baptism of suffering. The same suffering he had to go through, we may have to go through. This is not talking about water baptism and the purpose of water baptism. But you know, 1 Peter 3.21 is talking about water baptism. And it says, Baptism doth also now save you. And you know, Ananias, was a, the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he believed. But three days later, Ananias, uh, Ananias told Saul, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Saul was not saved when he believed, but he wasn't. His sins were not washed away until he was baptized. That is, if you believe Acts 22, verse 16. Look it up for yourself. If you would like to have a one-hour phone Bible study with me, call or text me at 256-682-9753. We can set it up sometime when it's convenient for you. A one-hour phone Bible study. I'd like to do it with you at your convenience. Call or text me at 256 682 9753